always a privilege to preach. I have the privilege of doing that maybe five or six times a year, and it's just something I look forward to greatly. In the verses that Joe just read, Paul seeks the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus, and nothing is going to distract him from pursuing it. I don't know about you, but I'm often distracted from what should be the primary focus in my life. To bring this point home, I want to share an illustration from a 40-year-old movie my wife Deanna and I watched recently. I hope some of the images from the movie will help to remind us of what's really important as we run the race of life. Okay, I want a show of hands. The movie is Chariots of Fire. All right, I'm, I'm looking around and I only see about a third of the audience who have seen that movie. Wow. Uh, if you haven't seen it, please see it. Parents, see it with your kids. It's a great, great movie. This is the true story of a Scottish missionary, Eric Little. And although Little was deeply committed to missionary work, the Lord gifted him to become one of the world's greatest runners. Little used his running platform, including winning a gold medal in the Olympics, to glorify God. Race after race, Little stayed true to his faith by preaching and teaching wherever he went. In fact, he chose to not run in his best event, the Olympic 100-meter race, because the finals were scheduled on a Sunday. He honored God and did not let all the worldly distractions, including his running at times, to prevent him from glorifying God. Little faced difficult choices and much opposition. However, his determination in running and in life was all about doing what? Bringing glory to God. He demonstrated integrity, perseverance, compassion, and courage as he ran the race the Lord had for him to run. Even after winning the Olympic gold, he would soon announce his plan to stop running and to go to China to tell people about Jesus as a missionary. Riverside family and friends, I have a few questions for you. Are you running the race focused on glorifying God or are you distracted in your race to accomplish all the Lord wants you to achieve for his kingdom? Let's pray. Father God, uh, again, Lord, I just thank you and praise you for the privilege and the opportunity to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that as... Uh, these scripture verses are read, and, and as, I, as I seek to exposit scripture, I pray, God, that you are glorified in the process. I pray, Lord, that you would just illuminate areas in our life that we have not given to you. Lord, I pray that as we run the race, we would press on toward the goal. Lord, that we would be diligent in mentoring others along that journey. And Father God, 
that we would seek even the enemies of the cross who don't know you, who need, who need you, who need the light of your kingdom brought into their lives. And I pray, Father, that we would have an eternal perspective as we expect Christ's ultimate victory. And we thank you again, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would just speak to us through these verses. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So in our first section, should be on the screen, pressing on toward the goal, I'm going to reread the verses Joe just read. First, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Again, on the screen. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, though I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So in our first verse this morning, the Apostle Paul states the tension between his present attainment and his aspiration for the future. His aim here is to make his own possession the purpose for which the risen Christ appeared to him at his conversion. Basically, Paul is confessing that he has not yet arrived and his whole life is about pressing on running the race towards this future goal. This goal is ultimately the perfection which will be his and will be ours, if we are believers, only at the resurrection. And this state, he nor we have yet attained. Paul reminds the Philippian believers, and he reminds us today, that the work of sanctifying grace is a progressive process, that the believer lives within the tension of salvation begun when we were first saved, but not yet final and will be reached only at the coming of Christ. Once again, we see this theme of gospel humility as Paul seeks to imitate Christ. He declares that he has not arrived. The key thing that Paul wanted to receive, the thing on which all else hinged, was a God-given, faith-based righteousness that comes only through faith in Christ alone. The last time I had the privilege of preaching, we were in verses 9 through 11. I want to reread those because I think it reminds us of this gospel humility. Verse 9, seeking a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In the next few verses, Paul now shifts from what he is not doing to two things that he does do. What are these two things? The first is forgetting what lies behind us, letting go of the past, 
And the second is looking forward, straining forward, straining forward to the finish line for what lies ahead. The picture here, like, like Eric Little in our movie, is a runner who refuses to look back over his shoulder, but keeps straining every fiber of his being forward toward the goal. Let's start with number one, letting go of the past. I imagine most of us find ourselves stuck at times focusing on past mistakes or regrets. I'm going to get a little personal here for a minute and share with you a piece of our testimony, my wife and I, to further illustrate this point. As parents of a now 34-year-old daughter, Lizzie, our prodigal, who has been stuck most of her life in drug addiction, my wife Deanne and I have often had difficulty with letting go of the past. Do you ever play the if-only game? If only we had not let her go to that public high school instead of the Christian school she was in. If only we had been more diligent in monitoring her friends. If only it would be, if we had been able to keep her in this or that treatment program. And the list goes on. Remember the evil one. Satan often uses guilt or shame to distract us from putting our full attention on trusting in God's plan. One of our favorite verses, probably for you as well, is Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, and 12. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. We still hold on to this hope for Lizzie. As we recognize God is sovereign even in this situation. Dwelling on the past can be a huge hindrance to achieving all that Christ has for us in this life. But sometimes, looking through the rearview mirror is a way that we can see how the Lord answered our prayers. And again, His sovereign will is accomplished, and we can trust Him with the future, independent of the sometimes very challenging current circumstances. So looking in the rearview mirror for Deanne and I, we can see how the Lord blessed us with the privilege of raising Olivia, Lizzie's daughter, under a temporary guardianship for the first 11 years of her life. His plan is so much better than our plan, isn't it? We now have the privilege of being full-time grandparents and watching Olivia mature in her relationship with Christ as the Lord blessed her with a permanent adoption, thanks to my son Drew and daughter-in-law, Alex. Friends, what do you need to let go from the past? Are you being distracted from pursuing the Lord's plan for your life because of some mistake or regret? I pray you would give it to the Lord today and begin running the race he has for you to run. 
So now that we've covered the first item that Paul exhorts us to do, forgetting what lies behind us, letting go of the past, let's now examine the second thing Paul encourages us to do, looking forward, straining toward what lies ahead. What does Paul encourage us to strain forward toward? The answer is in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, keep your eye on the ball. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. God has a purpose for Paul. He has a purpose for the Philippian believers. And he has a purpose for you and me. He reminds us that our mission in life is to pursue the purpose God has given us no matter what. Don't let anything stand in your way. Past failures, present circumstances, past successes, worries, fears, nothing must distract us from pursuing God's plan. If you are a believer, we have the same call in our lives. By the mercy of God, the Lord has summoned us out of rebellion and sin into fellowship with him. In Christ, we have been reconciled. We need to remain worthy of this calling and to press on by finishing the race with patience and courage, looking to Jesus. I love this beautiful verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, running half the race and then sitting on the sidelines to watch others run, it's not an option. We are called to this new life of faith as the Holy Spirit empowers us to have gospel conversations with our friends, with our neighbors, with family members, with co-workers, with anyone who doesn't know the Lord. There are so many that live in darkness and don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, run the race and share the hope we have in Christ with others. So as we move on to the second part of our sermon, on the screen you should have verses 15 through 17. This section is entitled, Mentoring Others. Let me reread those verses for you, starting in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. These next few verses essentially answer 
the so what question. They tell us how we ought to live in light of the upward call of God. Paul seems to address those that may falsely believe they've already arrived, including himself at times. There's that gospel humility again. We should all seek a true evaluation of our maturity in Christ, and we should always seek a fuller maturity. It is impossible for any Christian to claim perfection while still on earth. We all need to be constantly in the word. We need to be meditating and praying and open-minded to the prompting by the Holy Spirit and remain teachable, lifelong learners in Christ. Paul continues by reminding the Philippians that they need to look to the Lord to reveal the proper course of action. The maturity we have attained becomes the new minimum standard for our behavior in Christ. In verse 17, Paul exhorts the Philippians, become imitators of him and those who walk according to this example, to serve as role models for others. Beautiful parallel verse in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Like Paul, Riverside family, we and the Philippians are being reminded to renounce all man-made righteousness and place ourselves under the judgment of the cross with its summons to a death to sin and a life in fellowship with God. Like Paul, we too must throw off complacency and press forward as we run the race in following Christ. We have an important role to imitate Christ and serve as mentors and disciples for our brothers and sisters. I would encourage you, Riverside family, if you're not already part of the Vine team or a small group, it's important to have fellowship with our brothers in Christ in that type of relationship. Please talk with me or Pastor Joe or one of the elders about our Vine team or other ways you can be involved in discipling others. We all need to be engaged in a regular time of Bible study where you're supporting the spiritual growth of others and mentoring and discipling at least one other brother or sister at all times. So now we move on to the third section of the sermon today on the screen, verses 18 and 19, mourning over the enemies of the cross. Let me go ahead and reread those verses for you. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So why is Paul concerned that the Philippians have proper role models? He answers the question in verse 18. Because many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Whom precisely is Paul warning us against? Wow. 
I read lots of Bible commentator, commentators, Bible scholars that had different views on who Paul was referring to here. Some say these are enemies. These enemies are professing Christians, possibly the Judaizers, those Jewish Christians who add something to the gospel of Christ. Other Bible commentators describe these enemies of the cross as a warning against antinomianism, very fancy word, for the sin of those who abuse their liberty in Christ, making it an open license to every sort of indulgence. Yet other scholars suggest that Paul could be simply warning against the pull of this world, the ever-open door to depart from the way of Christ. All of these enemies of the cross are a disgrace to the name they claim to bear and a source of pain to Paul. In verse 19, Paul further describes four truths about these enemies of the cross. Number one, their destiny is destruction. They do not have the hope of salvation in Christ. They have no prospect except doom which awaits unsaved humanity. Their end is an eternal end, an irreversible separation from God. Number two, these enemies of the cross worship themselves. Their God is their belly. They recognize no need and no authority outside of personal satisfaction. Number three, these enemies find cause to glory in things of which they ought to be ashamed. They make self the moral authority for life instead of Christ. And finally, number four, these Christ enemies are earthbound. Their minds are set on earthly things. Friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are currently an enemy of the cross. Why does Paul go out of his way to depict this contrasting life? Because he must warn against it. There are two ways of life constantly inviting our obedience. Paul reminds us here about the constant pulling of the one against the other. Today, we also struggle with choosing the way of life with Christ or the way of death with all these worldly temptations. Like Paul, your elders grieve over those in our flock whom we have lost to this sinful world. Yes, with tears, we continue to pray and constantly seek to restore those that have lost their way. Be careful to choose the right role models and don't get distracted by so many who have lost their way. Scripture repeatedly warns us to watch out for those who will try and draw us away from the truth of the gospel. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary 
to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Galatians 1.6 says, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Friends, as you run the race, stay in your lane in the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek to avoid all the worldly traps that seek to distract you from staying on the path the Lord has made clear in his word. And finally, our fourth section, our fourth section verses 20 and 21, expecting Christ's ultimate victory. I'll reread those verses for you right now. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, praise God. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in our last two verses, Paul reminds us of that one great truth, our citizenship is in heaven, and our conduct must match our citizenship. Paul concludes with the Christian hope. We await the coming of Christ at which everything will be changed. The day will come when we will lay aside this mortal body and become like Jesus Christ. This is the hope of all Christians. This way of life is in direct contrast to the enemies of the cross in our last few verses. The enemies of the cross are heading for destruction. But we as believers are waiting for a savior from heaven. The enemies are devoted to their self, their bodies, but we focus on the transformation of our lowly bodies for eternity in heaven with the Lord. The enemies have a perverted sense of values who glorify in shameful things, but we focus on Christ's glory. And finally, the enemies are earthbound while our home will be in heaven. Praise God. If you are a believer today, we await the return of our Savior. In Galatians 5, 5, we read, For though the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And in Romans 8, 23, And not only the Creator, the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul here unites all believers in his attitude of eager anticipation. Even though our present experience includes suffering, we still have this eternal hope. Our Savior from heaven will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
As I close, I want to share a few key questions and hopefully some encouragements for which we all need to challenge ourselves. Riverside family and friends, question number one, are you running the race God has for you or are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you stuck in the past or are you straining forward toward God's plan for your future and his kingdom? Are you actively involved in mentoring and discipling? Are you part of the Vine team or a small group where you can connect, mentor, and disciple other believers? Are you having daily gospel conversations with unbelievers? Riverside family, are you earthly-minded or are you heavenly-minded? Are you an enemy of the cross or are you a citizen of heaven? For those here today who have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, Paul has given you a clear path on what Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life in our place. He died a substitutionary death on the cross for your sins and for mine. He rose triumphantly from the grave to launch God's new creation. And he is now exalted as king of the world. This gospel message calls for a response from you if you're not yet a believer. Repentance and faith. Repentance is mourning over and turning away from your sin, trading our agenda for the kingdom agenda of Jesus, and faith, trusting in Christ alone for salvation. If you feel God calling you to follow Jesus, we do praise the Lord for that. Riverside is a safe place for you to learn more about what it means to become a believer and to strive toward maturity in Christ. I would encourage you, if you want to know more about what it means to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please talk with me, Pastor Joe, one of the elders, or even someone from the worship team. Come up after the service. We'd love to talk with you more about that. So as we close today and invite up the worship team, Riverside fam family and friends, run the race God has for you. Strive forward, focused on glorifying him and seeking to accomplish all that he wants you to achieve for his kingdom. The next time I have the privilege of preaching, I will continue in our journey through Philippians in chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters. Let us pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you again for just opening our hearts and minds to the truth of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to run the race, that we would choose to glorify you in all that we do. Thank you, Lord, for clarifying 
the goal of God in Christ Jesus. Help us to press on towards that, Lord. Help us to be diligent in discipling one another and to share Christ with those that don't know the truth of the gospel. And I thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity to preach your word today. And we do thank you, Lord, that we are citizens of heaven. And Lord, that we, we can expect your ultimate victory when you come back again. And we thank you and praise you and pray all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.